What's up, Philo peeps? Welcome to episode 40. Holy cow. 40 episodes. Man, if you've been with us the whole time, thanks for joining on the journey here. I'm glad it's been useful to you in some way. It's been great for me. I love talking to people and learning new things. If this is your first time listening to our podcast, welcome. Our goal is to help technical artists like you and the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. Basically, an extension of the Philo Conference all year round. Uh, right now, I'm currently traveling and I'm recording this intro in a hotel room. And I've been recording a lot of voiceovers at the end of each day for the event I'm doing. And so I have this cool little audio setup that involves a pillow fort. So I figured why not take advantage of the moment and record for this podcast while I'm here. It's been amazing just thinking about that there's technology that exists. Just plug a mic into my computer and away we go. Got a podcast on the road. Amazing stuff. Anyway, on this event that has me out of town, I've been working with an amazing crew. We're doing some amazing work and it's reminded me of something I believe very strongly, which is, you know, production work is really hard, but make sure we're enjoying the work and we're enjoying each other. We've had some troubles at this event stuff that we couldn't have necessarily planned for, but it's been great to work with people that are continually trying new solutions to the problems that are coming up, always trying to make it better, not resting until it's right, but at the same time, not letting it destroy our relationships or the end product or just even the process that we're still enjoying each other along the way. And you know what? At the Philo Conference this year in Chicago, we talk about stuff like that, all kinds of situations that we experience regardless of the size of our church. You know, production in the local church is more than just gear. It's about the people using the gear, and it's about how we respond when things aren't going according to plan. So if you haven't signed up for the 2020 conference in Chicago, which is on May 19th and 20th, and we'd love to have you there to experience all the things that Philo is about, which is skill development, community, and hopefully some inspiration. All three things which I need more often than I let myself experience. So you can go to philo.org. All the details are there. You can order your tickets. If you bring a group of four or more, you get the best prices available. So why not bring a bunch with you? On to the podcast. My guest is Mike Sessler. He's a former TD of a few amazing churches, and he's the host of the Church Tech Weekly podcast and currently the co-owner of Velocity Pro Systems. So we get into all the details of what's going on in Mike's life and what he's up to these days in the podcast. So let's just get right to it. I have a special guest, my good friend, Mike Sessler. How's it going, Mike? I'm doing great this morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Good. Yeah, welcome to our little podcast. Yeah, it's great to finally have you on. I think, yeah. uh, I don't know if I want to admit this, but I think you shamed me into having you on. <laughs> shamed I, did a, me. I did a little bit. Is that bit. what I said? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, uh, we sort of connected with uh, the uh, Andrew Stone Memorial podcast, mm -hmm. and that's when we're like, oh, maybe this would be a good idea to actually have Mike on the, yeah, the, yeah. the real podcast. Right, just, right remembering people. So, yeah, this welcome. is under much better circumstances. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to think of when we actually met each other or when we first came into contact with each other. And I've, I'm thinking it must have been through the church tech leaders roundtable or... Yeah, that's. I was trying to remember if it was that or was it a guru's? Could have been a guru's. I mean, well, the only guru's of tech I went to that wasn't at Willow Creek was in 2002. 10 in Louisville, like when they did the big yeah, conference. Yeah. So maybe even we, would we have 
done a meetup or something, the MGM buffet or yeah, you know maybe because we were doing the pod the live podcast in 2010, and I think at uh, I think 2011 was the first MGM pod live podcast. Okay, all right. Um, at uh, I think that was NAB when right, it was a CTL lead up uh, meetup, and I think um, I. I you might have been on that one. I can't yeah. remember, but I can see, I can't remember. I was thinking about this too. Like when, when did, how long have Todd and I known each other? Because it yeah. feels like a long time. Right. And um, I know you've been on our podcast a bunch of times and we've, yeah. we've seen each other at conferences. And so it's hard to remember now if it was, was it a WFX, like pre right. CTL, pre whatever the pre thing was that we used to do. Was it a meetup at the MGM? Was it a guru's? <laughs> right, we, right. We kept finding ourselves in the same places eventually. <laughs> yeah. And I think at some point we just started sitting down talking to each other and yep. discovered and we think, had a lot in common. So Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you were, I know for sure you were at Coast Hills Church. Yeah. So that whatever year was 2009 were. after that. So, okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's been so, almost 10 years anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like forever. And because it has, it's uh, 10 years is a yeah. long Well, and when you're number. in the tech world, you know, it's like it's like a two or three to one ratio, I think. Right. It's like dog years. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. <laughs> tech years. <laughs> we're very old. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, yeah. So you've come a long way, or at least your journey has uh, been a while since Coast Hills. Why don't you just sort of give us a quick update on what you're doing now? Yeah. And yeah, maybe even a story of how you got where you are right now. Yeah. So back in 2000, 2000, really 13, 14, um, I was kind of realizing my journey as a technical director was winding down, at least at Coast Hills. Um, for I just kind of knew God has always been pretty good about giving me some pre-indicators that, you know, a season uh -huh. is coming to a close. And so I kind of knew that was going to be happening. There were a bunch of things that were all happening in our family life. Daughters were graduating high school and college and all that kind of stuff. And, right. you know, my wife and I were kind of like, eh, you know, do we want to stay in California? What do we want to do? She didn't, she never really liked California. Oh, really? I was kind of ready to leave and, you know, just kind of felt like, what's the next season in our life? And God was just kind of putting some restlessness in me. And so we were just talking about what we wanted to do. We had gone, uh, we had taken a couple trips to Nashville to see maybe do we want to live here? And we kind of had gridded out the entire country, looked through every state and kind of <laughs> built it into a spreadsheet and decided, you know, we basically <laughs> had it down to like four states that were possibilities. Uh -huh. And um, I had been to most of them and, and we ended up just because I think it was a salt conference we came out here to come okay. do. And I brought my, my um, wife and daughter, one of my daughters out you know, we were just kind of talking at dinner one night and she said, well, what do you want to do when we moved to Nashville? And I said, well, I don't know if this job exists, but what I would love to be able to do would be to be the in-house like AV designer guy at an architecture firm that builds churches. Because okay. so many of the problems that I see that I deal with, help people deal with and all that stem from the fact that AV was an afterthought in church buildings right. or yeah, it wasn't, so it wasn't thought through properly. The infrastructure wasn't there. Um, they didn't spend enough money on things. They bought stuff that didn't make sense. You know, the, all the, all the stuff we know about. Right. 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 And so I said, I don't know if that job exists, but that would be awesome if I can find that. 
Uh-huh. And so that was in January of uh, 2014. You know, again, our church was going through some big renovation projects and I was kind of uh, helping out with some of that stuff. And then right before Easter, I took a week off. And while I was out, I don't know, I think I went to Oceanside or something just to hang out by the ocean and, and eat some tacos and just chill for a day. <laughs> uh-huh. I got a phone call from a number I didn't recognize, let it go to voicemail, picked it up a couple hours later. And it was a friend of mine who I had met several times through mutual acquaintances and and he called me up and said, hey, so, you know, I've got this company integration business that I started up. We were bought out by Visioneering, which is an architecture firm. And so I, I need a project manager, designer kind of guy to help out okay. as well, the integration business is growing. And he literally described the exact job that I just described to my wife three oh, wow. months, two or three months earlier. And um, I thought, well, that's kind of weird because I hadn't told anybody. Like my wife and I talked about it, but that was it. It never went beyond our dining room table. Right, right. And then, um, so I, I thought, well, that's kind of fascinating. So I called him back and he described the whole thing and he basically described the job that I had, you know, thought would be a great dream job. And then I said, well, this is very fascinating. But one thing that you kind of need to know is that like within a year, 2015, we were planning on moving to Nashville. And, you know, I don't know how that would play into this. And he goes, well, you know, this is kind of a job you could do from anywhere as long as you've got internet and you're near an airport. And, and besides, Visioneering has an office in Nashville. Okay. And I went, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, I ended up meeting with them and uh, it just seemed like a great fit. And so I went to work for my friend Scott and uh, did that integration thing for about a year. You know, it was great to be able to, to kind of take the 20 or 25 years of production experience that I had working in all kinds of churches, talking with all kinds of people through the podcast, the website and all that, and seeing what happens right and what happens wrong and how to fix that stuff and how to help, right. you know, kind of uh, steer that in the right direction. So did that. Bunch of changes were happening at the parent organization and it, it kind of made sense. I had to take a, had to pull the ripcord on that because there were a whole bunch of changes. I, I had a great time working with uh, my friend Scott, but, you know, it was like above us, there were a lot of storm clouds brewing. And uh-huh. so both of us ended up punching out and uh, he went one place, I went another place. We spent about four years doing different things. He really got a great education in running an integration style business. I got an education okay. in design and, and doing uh, integration at a very high level. And then I started getting restless again. God was kind of saying, hey, something new is coming. So just be ready for it. And I, I, was, uh-huh. I was praying about this time last year. I was praying, God, I want to do something else, but you need to send me a partner because I don't want to do it on my own. Sure. I'm, I'm no good on my own. I've, I've started five other businesses, but the ones that have been <laughs> successful have always been when I've had a partner uh-huh. and somebody that has the opposite skill set of mine. And so out of the blue, I get a call from Scott saying, hey, I got an opportunity to uh, take over this uh, integration business uh, from Velocity Productions. What do you think about getting the band back together? And I said, funny you should mention that. <laughs> <laughs> so it took a little while to kind of figure out how we were going to do it, but uh, uh-huh. we started up in May and uh, we're, we're Velocity Pro Systems now and full service design and integration business. And so kind of getting to do, not, not really the architecture part of it, although we're back partnering with Visioneering Architects again, which is kind okay. of fun. But yeah, it's kind of cool to be able to, to be able to help churches 
you know, think through their AV systems and their processes. And, and we just did a, an installation a couple of weeks ago with a team that really doesn't know a whole lot. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and so it was fun for me to not only be able to give them a great uh, system to work with, but also spend a ton of time. I spent probably two days with their team training them on how to just how to run a sound check. You know, they had never, they didn't even know how to do a sound check. They just, people like started showing up, plugging in and playing. And, oh, wow. you know, the guy in the booth would just start pushing faders around until something happened. And, uh-huh. you know, I kind of walked them through, here's here's how you do a sound check. Here's how you set monitor levels. Here's how you set lighting cues. And, you know, really walking them through the process that we all, you know, we know how to do. But sure, um, a lot of people have never been taught that. So Right. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I mean, I think just thinking about your story, I mean, you were kind of out doing production in the, well, let's say in the world. Yeah. Before you came into working at a church, you know, you've been talking a little bit about, you know, God kind of nudging you at different times. Was that the move from doing, uh, I don't know if corporate production is the right word, but, you know. It was basically. Not in the church. Yeah. To doing in the church, was that also a nudge? Um, That was a weird God thing. That really was. Mm -hmm. Because I had been, you know, gosh, since ever since about 1990 or so, I've been the tech guy at church. So uh-huh. I was volunteering at a small church, you know, that was kind of a church plant when I got saved. And then it grew into a larger and larger church. We built a building. I designed and installed the system for that. And I was kind of the lead tech guy for that uh, that church for almost 10 years, I think. Wow. And then I went to another church and became kind of the lead tech guy there. And then I was another church and working on staff part-time for them as a sound guy. So I've been, I'd been doing stuff in the church, tech stuff in the church for a long, long time uh-huh. um, before I actually joined my first church staff as a, like an actual position. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I had been, I kind of went through probably not a midlife crisis is not the right way to put it, but um, right around the 2000, the 2001 scenario, we had, I owned a video production company. We were doing a lot of, a lot of big video production work. We were working with a lot of churches, mission groups, uh, rescue missions, church planning groups. Uh, we shot Christian music festivals and uh, we were doing a lot of stuff in and around the, the house of worship uh, market overall. Okay. Um, but when the planes hit the tower, everything just stopped in the world of video for us. So we ended up losing our video company and we ended up doing something else for a while. And then I kind of found myself in a place where I was almost 40 years old and didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, because up to that point, (laughs) I had always wanted to do video. I was doing video and then I wasn't doing video anymore. So then it kind of became like, well, what do I do now? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who am I? Yeah, exactly. And so um, I went through a little bit of an existential crisis trying to figure that out. You know, just just met up with a lot of people and did a lot of networking and had a ton of coffee meetings with people and trying to figure it out. Tried a few other different things, tried a little sales thing, tried working for an ad agency for a little while and none of that really felt right. Then I was approached by the worship pastor at the church that I was attending where I was just volunteering and they said, hey, um, we need a tech director. What do you think about joining the staff as a tech director? And I said, wait, you mean people get paid to do this stuff? Because up to that point, I had always been the volunteer. I didn't even know there were paid tech director positions. Right, right. And so, you know, it was, unfortunately for that, it was a a part-time position. And so they kind of created a hybrid position for me to be tech director and student ministries media director. And then I ended up working part-time at a video production company doing video. And so it was kind of like three full-time jobs for which I got paid (laughs) part-time salaries for each. That seems about right. Yeah. So that was, um, as frustrating and hard as that first year, like I worked an entire year without taking a single day off. Wow. 
seven days a week for a full year. And I realized that wasn't sustainable. And uh-huh. then I restructured my schedule so I could start taking some days off. But then I kind of realized, you know what? This church tech thing, like I'm kind of good at it. Uh-huh. And uh, so I started looking around and praying, you know, looking for a full-time position and eventually found a spot in Minneapolis, moved the family up there through a whole variety of circumstances, uh, which I, that's when I really started the website, uh, Church Tech Arts and chronicled okay. my my experience of, uh, you know, moving to Minneapolis, being there for a year and a half, and then suddenly finding myself unemployed again and having to (laughs) find another church job. And that took us to California. But, you know, God directed us through all of those things. And uh, Coast Hills is where I think I I really settled into the the technical director role in a a really meaningful way. Uh, Yeah, man, what a journey. Yeah, it's been pretty wild. And it's, you know, there's no way that, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I could talk about. I mean, I owned a chain of tanning salons for a while um, <laughs> in the middle of that, that. People always find very fascinating and amusing. But um, what's crazy about that is that right now, like I, part of my job is working with electricians, working with commercial contractors in construction. And uh-huh. I spent a year and a half building out commercial buildings. So that education so was uh, very valuable. <laughs> You've done it all. And I'm like, uh, I feel so one-dimensional talking to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, I've had a very, very fascinating journey. God's taken me on a, it's been, a, I, there's no way I could have ever predicted it. And it's it's not, you know, I, I don't really take a lot of credit for it because I feel like a lot of times I was just in the right place at the right time and just listening right. to what God was telling me to do. And, yeah. um, you know. And it's just, doing it. Yeah, and just kind of taking the leap of faith and doing it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's interesting. The I just finished listening to a book called Beginner's Pluck, hmm. which is by Liz Bohannon. She was a speaker at the the Leadership Summit at Willow Creek this okay. past year. Yeah. And she runs a business where they make girls in Uganda make sandals and then they sell them in the United States and then that money goes to uh, put them through college. Okay. Yeah, so just kind of, and she's I think she's not even 30 yet, this wow. lady Liz. And uh, yeah, she just kind of talks about the idea of saying yes to the things that are right in front of you yeah. and to not think that there's a like one thing that you're trying to figure out mm-hmm. what, my, what my passion is or what my life is about, but it's more about yeah. what, what am I passionate about right now yep. and what, what's the thing I need to follow right now. Yeah, uh, no, oh, and that's so good. I mean- I talk to a lot of younger younger people in their 20s who are, you know, there seems to be this huge existential crisis right now with, with right. people in their 20s trying to figure out like, what am I going to be? What's my dream job? What's my perfect scenario? And, you know, they're looking for this this perfect job, this perfect career that they're going to have. Like they're going to make one job decision when they're 23 years old and that's right. either going to ruin their lives or it's going to set them up for, you know, eternal success right. in all their future endeavors, right? And right. that's just so not true. Yeah. You know, and again, when you look at my my job, I've done, I started off doing corporate production. Then I went into business for myself doing freelance IT consulting and video production. Production. Uh, or no, wait, I work for a church in the middle of that um, <laughs> church uh, Sunday school curriculum thing in there in the middle of that doing video for them. Then I did IT consulting and video production. Then I launched a video company and then I did a, um, uh, we own tanning salons and uh-huh. then I sold uh, air purifiers uh, 
uh, in my own business. Oh. And okay. then I sold a uh, gutter helmet, uh, the stuff that keeps leaves out of sure, your gutter yeah. and windows. Uh-huh. And then I worked for an ad agency and then I yeah. worked for churches. Then I worked for integrators. So, yeah. I mean, it's this <laughs> crazy journey. And, you know, while some of those jobs weren't awesome jobs, I learned so much, you know, right, in right. all of those. Um, yeah. You know, I hated selling gutter helmet, but what I learned from that was that when you'd ring the doorbell of somebody's house, you know, you have to, you have about 30 seconds to establish rapport and where you have a chance to make the sale or not. And if you don't establish rapport, you don't, you're not going to make the sale. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. And so, you know, even working in a church, being able to have a guest speaker come in and make them feel comfortable and be able to say, Hey, here's your microphone. This is where you're going to sit. This is what you're going to do. Here's how we're going right, to do this. Right. You know, they can go, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. I'm okay. Right. Um, you know, so those, sk- all those skills, yeah. Or the opposite. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, if right. you come in and you're super nervous and you don't have a microphone ready for him and you're running around trying to find a battery for his microphone and the headset yeah, yeah. doesn't quite fit right, he's going to be all freaked out and the speaker is not right. going to have a, they're not going to be comfortable and it's just going to be a rough experience for them. So, you know, the, the journey that God takes you on, like you said, be, do what you're passionate about right now and, and you can change careers. Like, sure. you know, you, you can do so. you don't have to, whatever you do today. And I've told them, a friend of mine, this, he, he asked me for advice. He's a young guy, early twenties, just got married last year. And before he got married, he was asking me like, what, what do I do? Do I, should I go back and get a business degree? Should I do this? Should I do that? And I said, look, you're at a church right now. You're going to, you are going to outgrow this church at some point. Your, your skill set is going to grow to the point where you can't grow any further at this place. Now this place is a good place for you now, but in the near future, you're going to outgrow this place and you're going to need to go somewhere else. And that's okay. And then at some point, you're not going to want to do this anymore. Uh-huh. And that's okay. You're going to need to do something else. But, you know, just just be aware that it's going to change and it's going to morph and you're going to find yourself doing different things throughout your career. Yeah. I think it's interesting when I think about my own story and when I started doing production work in the local church you know, my parents' generation was very much the get a job, have mm-hmm. it till you retire. Yep. And so that was kind of my expectation. And I don't know if it was the expectation of those around me, but it seemed like pretty quickly that was busted. Yeah. And then now to kind of come to our kids' generation, I can't believe I'm saying that. I mean, it makes me feel really old. I but, know, right? You know, like <laughs> well, my we are son, kind of old, Todd. I, yeah, I have a, a kid who... Yeah, it's totally paralyzed by the, I, if I make the wrong decision right now, it's going to yeah. ruin my life forever. Yeah. Like, no, it's no. Just, just a thing for now. You just and get another a job. decision tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, just get another job. I mean, and that's kind of the, if you, if you can give up the illusion of security, of job security, because job security is an illusion. Right. Um, you yeah. know, even if, even if you, if you, if you hold to the old, old school mindset of I'm going to go get a job and then I'm going to be there for 25 years, I'm going to then punch out and get my pension and all that sort of thing. Even that can be taken away from you. You know, a lot of people thought that right. they were going to be at this company, you know, Kodak, they, a, lot, a lot of people thought they were going to retire from Kodak and then, you know, right. Kodak disappeared <laughs> or pick a company. Yeah. I mean, we all know these stories of companies and some of them, you know, even like startup companies, some people thought, man, I'm going to get into the ground floor on this startup company. It's going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the whole thing blows up and you lose all your money. You, you show up for work one Monday morning, the doors are locked, the building is empty and you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. All of right, that happens right. in real life. So- 
there, the, the, uh, the idea of job security is a, an illusion. So once yeah. you give up that feeling that you have to have job security and just release that and go, okay, well, no, I can get another job because, right. you know, if you, if you invest in yourself, you invest in uh, being someone who adds value to an organization in whatever it is that you do. And that can take many, many forms. Um, but if you right. add value to an organization, you will not want for work. Like I've, I've, I've not really wanted for work in my life. There've been a couple of times where I took a while to figure out what I wanted to do, but sure. every time I would go talk to a company, everybody said, man, you're the, I, I want somebody like you on my team. I don't know what I would do with you just yet, but I want somebody like <laughs> you on my team. And that's because I've worked really hard in my career to find ways to add value wherever I am. And so, right. you know, if you can give up the idea of security and know that as long as you can make a concerted effort to add value wherever you go, you can kind of do whatever you want. Um, and right, jump right. careers and uh, and do you know just just kind of do whatever um, as long as you're willing to put in the work and the time and the effort to figure it out. Right. Yeah, I think it's so uh, so interesting that idea of adding value. I mean, uh, I know for me in my when I was working at Willow Creek and even before that at Kensington, I did so much work that wasn't in my job description. Sure. Because I, I was about like, well, how can we help advance the, the mission of the church or the organization? And so I'm just going to jump in where, where I see a need. Yeah. And that was always kind of surprised at how many people don't think that way or mm -hmm. didn't think that way and saying, hey, this is my job description. I'm only going to do this thing and I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm going to. That's somebody else's problem out there. Yep. And I think there's so many problems out there that need to be solved by someone. Yeah. It's waiting for, for someone to solve it. And I always felt like if I'm feeling it and seeing it and nothing's happening about it, <laughs> then I should is. probably jump in and do it. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, that's, if I keep that's, waiting for someone else to do it, yeah, yeah. never get done. Yeah. No, that's really true. And a lot of those, the people that, the people that uh, will, will sit around and go, that's not my job. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in my lane and just, just do my job. Those are the people that have a hard time recovering from being laid off or losing their job yeah. or their company shutting down or whatever. Um, I talked to a lot of guys when I was kind of in my, um, right before I started working uh, on staff at a church um, in kind of the 2004, 2005 realm, trying to figure out, you know, what it is that I wanted to do with the next season of my life. I ended up meeting with um, probably in the course of, over the span of about three months, I met with about 150 different people who were, wow. I started off meeting with other unemployed people. And then I moved to meeting with employed people. Then I moved to meeting with <laughs> um, hiring managers. And then eventually I was meeting with presidents of companies. It took about three okay. months to get there. And in the beginning, when I was meeting with a lot of other unemployed people, the thing that I, it was just mind blowing to me, I would meet these guys who would say, yeah, you know, I, I was an IT guy, you know, I, 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 was, I programmed, you know, I programmed an AS 400 or whatever, but nobody wants that anymore. Now everybody wants Ruby on Rails or they want this thing or that thing. And I'm like, well, why don't you learn right. that? I don't want to learn that. I just want to do my, my other thing over here. I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, but can you find a job doing that? No, I haven't been able to find a job for three years. There you go. Well, maybe if you learn the new language, you could, nah, I just, I'm, I don't feel like doing that. It's too much work. I just want to be able to do this thing I'm comfortable with. I'm like, well, good mm -hmm. luck with that. Um, right. You know, meanwhile, I'm learning whole. I'm trying to learn a whole new skill set, and I went to work for an ad agency for a couple of months. I sure. I, I was the first first person that age ad agency ever hired that did not have ad agency experience. 
Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. They had never hired another non-ad agency person before. And I was wow. immediately brought in as a, as a senior account executive to manage the Xerox account. And okay. uh, I had no idea what I was doing, but I figured it out. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, and I ran, I ran about a million dollars worth of uh, of campaigns before Xerox. They had a big budget cut and shut the shut the project down, and I lost that uh-huh. uh, lost that position. But huh. you know, and I did, actually I didn't like it to be quite honest with you. But um, <laughs> but I think you know, I mean you've said it a few times. Yeah, you you uh, if you're willing to learn something new. Yeah, and whatever whatever situation you're in, to realize, hey, what can I take from this? Yeah, and apply to whatever's next. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can hate a job, but what can you learn from it? Yeah, and anything you're doing, you can always learn from. You know, yeah. there's there's always something that you're doing that you can learn from, and it might not be apparent to you right now. There, like I said, there are things that when I when I was doing the tanning business, that was like 2003, and it wasn't until 11, 10, 11 years later that that came back to being actually useful skill sets. Yeah. Actually not even that cuz when I really when I was at Coast Hills we did a, we did some pretty major construction projects there. Did some tanning beds there. Yeah, we didn't do tanning beds. <laughs> that would have been cool though if we had Although we're California so you kind of don't need to. Don't in Minneapolis need it. Yeah, right. now. Minneapolis we could have done tanning beds. That would have been useful. <laughs> um but you know, like I wired, I, I you know wired up all the beds and had to learn how to you know deal with three phase and deal with single phase ones and you know buck boost transformers and uh, heating and air conditioning right. and you know I learned a lot about heating and air conditioning when you've got uh, twenty seven tanning beds putting off uh, ten thousand or twenty thousand BTUs a piece. Like, how do you keep that building right. cool in the summertime? <laughs> right, right, so, yeah, wow. <laughs> and you know, when transfer that into production now. Now, of course, it's it's changed now with LEDs, but you know, go into a theater. Right. with 200, uh, 750 watt bulbs that are putting off all kinds of, right. of heat. How do you manage the heat in that building? Um, how do you manage right, power? Right. How do you manage conduit? And, you know, all, all that stuff comes into play. Right, right. You know, it does. It looks, yeah. it looks like a crazy weird detour, but at the same time, God uses that for, you know, the future. Yeah, I think for me, it just becomes part of your story that leads to the next thing that, yeah, yeah. If I look at what I'm doing now, I mean, I could not have imagined this when I started, right. uh, you know, in the in the 90s. But it's a when I kind of piece it all together, it's a culmination of everything I've ever done. Yeah, and yeah, I think uh, your idea of just relaxing with you know where you are right now and learn what you can, and yeah, whatever's next is next. Yeah, and know that it's seasons. which I think. Yeah, and I think that's something uh, that I would love to touch on a little bit. I mean, we're kind of going all over the place here, but I know for me there were seasons where I was trying really hard to, I'm a responsible person. I don't want to let anyone down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work really hard. Yeah. And so I probably hung on to positions or jobs longer than maybe I should have yeah, because I was yeah. trying to solve like what, what's my part in this and how can I mm-hmm. make it better? Yep. And I don't want to let anyone down. So I don't like, even if I feel like it's time to move on, I'm not going to because yeah, yeah, I don't, I want to, I don't want to let people down. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is such a, that's such a tricky thing. Um, both from an employer's standpoint, cause I've been on both sides of that too. As an yeah. employer, you know, so I'll talk about it from an employer standpoint first. 
I've had a couple of people on our staff. In fact, we just we just had to let somebody go from our little little you know was a two and a half man company and now is a two man company <laughs> because we we had somebody who is a great guy. I really love the guy. He's just a super human being, just not the right fit at all. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know we just it just wasn't working. And so finally, what I said to him was, "Look, I don't want to be the reason you're not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing because you feel a loyalty to us." You know, you you keep wanting to hang on and keep trying to make this thing work. It's not working. This uh-huh. is just not a fit. It's just not like there's nothing wrong with any of us in this room. This is just right. not a fit. This, you're a you're a round peg and we're a square hole. It's just it doesn't work. So there's nothing wrong with that. But we can't keep trying to make it work because <laughs> it's frustrating everybody. So I want to free you up to go do what God's calling you to do next, so you can actually thrive. And at the same right. time, I want to stop the frustration on my life because what we think is supposed <laughs> to be getting done is not getting done and it's just making everybody aggravated. So I would rather, right. you know, you leave now where we can leave friends um, and then you go do what you're supposed to do. We can get done what we need to do and everybody's happy. Um, and I've done that with other people too. We had an associate tech director of mine years ago who was just miserable in his job, miserable. He was making everybody else miserable. Uh-huh. And he did not want to be there anymore. It was so obvious every single Sunday. Um, And he just, he literally made everybody else miserable. And finally, we just sat Mm -hmm. down with him and said, look, man, I mean, it seems like you don't like this job anymore. He's like, no, I really don't. I'm kind of sick of it. I just don't like the way things are going and yada, yada. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's find a way to get you out into doing something you need to do. What's your fear about leaving? Well, you know, daughter with special needs, need healthcare and all that. Okay, look, we'll cover that. Let's, Let's get six months of that taken care of. So you're good there. You go find yourself a new gig. Everything will be fine. We'll support you in every way we can. Six months later, he's in a new job that he loves. He is thriving. He is so much happier. First weekend without him was like, you know, we can actually like work (laughs) in the tech booth now. It's so nice. And yeah, there was a little extra work to do and all that. And I had to find somebody new to replace him and all that. But we were better off. He was better off. Everybody was better off. So you know, from a from a person's standpoint, when you get to that place where you're like, man, I feel like it's time to leave, you've got to leave. You know, yeah. you've just kind of got to leave. And because again, if you're not, if you're not really doing what you're called to be doing anymore, if you're just hanging on out of a sense of loyalty and it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm like you said, you're responsible. And most, a lot of us tech guys are, we're, we're the ones yeah. that are going to, we're there after everybody else has gone home because this thing has got to get done and we're going yeah. to do it because that's just who we are. Yeah. But at the same time, you've kind of, you really have to recognize this season's over and I need to be open for the next thing. And I think sometimes we can, we can put the blinders on ourselves and go, no, no, I'm going to keep doing this because God hasn't shown me the next thing. And God, sometimes doesn't show you the next thing until you go, okay, I'm ready. Whatever you say, God, I'm I'm ready to go. Right, right. Yeah, I think too, uh, the challenge for, I'm just going to lump all of us together, all of us tech people, is that it's real easy (laughs) to derive your significance from what you do or Mm -hmm. that you what you do defines who you are. Yes. And I think that's where it gets really hard to leave a job or say it's time for me to go because I'm a failure. Yeah. I could not do this job. And I mean, it's not, it's not about uh, whether you're a good person or not. Yeah. It's about this isn't a fit anymore. Right. And yeah. And I think even the idea of seasons is a totally normal thing that yeah. as a tech person, it's hard to feel like, oh, the season's over. I'm going to move on. When yeah. again, you're so responsible, 
just hanging on yeah. to something that you need to let go of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's hard for tech people, especially in the church, because so much of what we do is, I mean, the weekends just keep coming, right? It's 52 weekends a year. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's just a churn, you know, it's over and over yep. weekend after weekend, after weekend, after weekend. And it's hard to step back from that and say, no, there are actually, there are seasons here. And so I think it's hard for us to recognize sometimes that there are seasons in our lives um, because we can get so heads down in the weekend, weekend to weekend to weekend right. routine that it just feels like one long season. <laughs> it's like one long thing, right? Right. It just keeps yeah. going. So it's important. That's why it really is important to you know get some time out and take a week off and just step away from it and go do something totally non-tech related. Go do something completely different, so you can yeah. get your head cleared out and go. Man, am I really supposed to be doing this now? Am I still am I still enjoying right. what I'm doing? You know, when I left Coast Hills. I was starting to feel like I'm being drained every week when I come in here now. It's not it's not filling uh-huh. me up, it's not giving me something and it's 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 just sucking the life out of me slowly as I do this every single weekend and I don't want that to happen. I don't want to be here in 5 more years going, oh, I, I don't want to be the guy that I had to let go, you know, <laughs> because yeah, I yeah. just hated it yeah. here and I'm making everybody else miserable. So, right. you know, for me I had to be willing to be open and honestly, I I've told uh, my Scott, my partner now, um, when I took that job, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, and I was like the first week I was there. Seems to there, be a theme in yeah, your story. I, I literally had <laughs> yeah. no idea. I mean, I, I totally talked my way into it, uh, into the position. You know, the first week I was there, he handed me a set of blueprints for a building that was being built. And he's like, hey, can you work out a lighting plan for this? And I went, Sure. <laughs> you know, I had no, I had literally no idea how to, how to draw drawings for construction drawings or anything. I mean, literally nothing. <laughs> we had no systems in place for doing that. And so I completely had to learn everything on my own and, and figure it all out real fast. So it was scary doing it, but you know, it was, that was, I knew that was what God had called me to do. So it was, it was okay. But yeah, you know, I, I was able to leave at a, at a place where I still could feel good about what I had done there uh, in my previous position. Yeah. And I think a lot of us do hang on to the point, and even volunteers. You know, if you're a volunteer, I know, right. um, yeah. you know, volunteers will sometimes hang into a position because they feel that sense of obligation. Well, like if I don't do it, nobody else will. Well, here's a thought: yeah, right. What if there's somebody out there waiting to do it, but they won't do it until you leave? So you're right. actually in yeah. the way of somebody else getting to use their gifting because you won't let yeah. it go. That's yeah. a possibility. That's you a know? good one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that happens that happens in, in jobs and it happens in volunteers. So, you know, you've yeah. gotta be yeah. you've gotta be sensitive and be willing to go, okay, I don't know what's next, but this is over. Yeah. And I think uh, just as we've been talking, you know, it sounds like uh, we're doing a podcast about why you should leave your job, <laughs> which I think- <laughs> How to leave yeah, your job. Yeah, how to leave your job. Uh, and I think part of it, when you, we talk about seasons and I think about my own journey, there are seasons uh, where I'm miserable Yeah, and want, want to leave. But the next season isn't necessarily leaving and doing something else, but it's buckling down and- getting very clear about what part of this is mine, what part of this is someone else's. I'm going to double down and try to make this better. I mean, that's definitely a season yeah. that we shouldn't always jump to, it's time to go. Right. There's a season where, okay, what of what's happening now, what is my responsibility mm-hmm. and how can I make this better? Yeah. Yeah, is, is equally as important to go through. 
Yeah. Uh, because I think, uh, you know, maybe it's all real, really too cliche, but, you know, just the idea of for something to be, uh, you know, like thinking of a diamond requires a vast amount of pressure to mm-hmm. make something that beautiful. Yeah. And that something, something good happens through that, through the struggle. I started going back to the gym, like I'm uh, getting a jump on my New Year's resolutions by <laughs> going to the gym before January 1st. Proactively getting and your shirt, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a lot of pain right now, yeah. I gotta say. And <laughs> and part of that is, but that the goal is to, you know, become healthier and, yeah. you know, stronger. And yeah, struggle is important. And yeah. it's not always, yeah, this stinks. I'm gonna go, that season's over. I'm gonna do something else. Well, maybe the season's over, but the next season is about, you know, buckling down and being yeah. more responsible. We were talking earlier, there's a video going around on Facebook of a preacher sort of calling out the yeah. the kid in the video booth. Yep. And I have to say that I think as a, as a tech person and watching the comments, all the tech people are jumping on the side of the tech guy mm-hmm. protecting him. Yeah. And I, I keep thinking, okay, this pastor is being super inappropriate of doing this like in public, but how far has he been pushed to this mm-hmm. point, like yeah. for him to lose it? And to me, I feel like, yeah, the season for that tech person is maybe done and it's time to go on to something else. But what could he have done differently to not get himself to this point? And maybe that's what the next season is yeah. about. Yeah. Well, and two things I, I want to touch on on that. One, know that in every job or every season that you're going to be in, there are going to be times that are hard. Yeah. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's time to leave. So uh, you've got to be, you've got to be able to discern, like, I, I'm actually really happy what I'm with what I'm doing right now. Um, I had a week, a, a couple of weeks ago, I hated what I was doing because I was in a, uh-huh. a really difficult week of a really difficult project that was super aggravating. So you know, it, it, that in that moment, I was ready to quit and go do like work at Starbucks as a barista. You know, like right. <laughs> I was that frustrated. But you know, I'm, I, I know myself well enough to know. Okay, now you're it's. This is just frustrating. It's a problem. It's a hassle. Sure, this guy's being a complete jerk. Take a deep breath. It's a problem. Solve the problem. Move on and go through it. And now it's like, okay, now it's fine. Yeah, there are always going to be problems. So even in your, because again, I think people think that if you find your dream job, it'll all be perfect and it'll never be, it'll never be hard. That's completely wrong. (laughs) You're going to have hard times no matter what you do. (laughs) Um, So know that. But with this guy, I, yeah, that video is so fascinating, and I, I, I think, I think there's always that was a completely one-sided video, as you as you you pointed out. All we got to yeah, see right. was the pastor's reaction. So we don't know what the other side of that is, and I think there's this tendency in this this internet culture that we live in now that we immediately want to jump all over something when we only see one side of it. This happens in right, politics. Right. It happens all over the place where you something, some video comes out, all you see is the one side and you're like, oh, he should never have done that. And then, you you know, like two weeks later right. we find out, actually that was completely justified, <laughs> you know? Sure, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I think we have to be very, very careful before we rush to judgment and, you know, burn that pastor down because he was kind of a, and he was kind of a jerk. Like I, I, I don't support right. publicly calling out anybody from the pulpit. No way, yeah. Um, that's just yeah. not a, that's, that is not good leadership, 
period. Unless you're praising someone. Right, right. Yeah, no, yeah. but if you're going to if you're yeah. going to burn somebody down, you should not do it from the pulpit. Yeah. You know, just as a pastor, just don't do that. It's just it's really poor leadership. Um you yeah. will never get the outcome you think you're going to get by doing that. Um, all you're going to do is alienate people, period. Um, yeah. So that's never going to work. Um, now, if that tech guy was in the right, if he was doing everything right and the pastor was still mad about it, you know, like I, I, I know of another situation in another big church in another conference where, um, you know, the tech guy was in the right completely. He did nothing wrong and the pastor still mm -hmm. burned him down in front of the people. You know, it, that if if I was at that point in my career, I might have I might have hit the off button on the sequencer and walked out and waved everybody on the way. Good good luck. <laughs> yeah. I can get another job. You need to find a new yeah, sound yeah. guy right now because I'm out. You yeah. know, whatever. But yeah, it's an interesting question to ask. Like, what did you do to get to that point where your pastor was so frustrated that he burned you down in front of the entire congregation? Right. Right. So. You know, there's, and this is where, you know, like we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording about the challenge that I think a lot of um, younger tech guys have in the church right now is that they do not have a ton of respect from their leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when like my, our generation, because Todd and I are old guys, right? So we can officially, yeah. we're just old guys, right? Hey, wait we a are. second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've got teenagers and you got kids in college. So you're, you're an old guy yeah. now. Um, yeah. I have two kids that are over 20. Yeah. So, so you're officially yeah. an old guy. Um, <laughs> <Crap>. <laughs> but uh, so when, when we came into the, into the production and the church production world, um, you know, we kind of came in from outside. We were sort of the outside experts that came in to the church and, and, and established kind of the, the, how things are done in the church. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just the way it worked. I mean, it's not because we're, we're more awesomer than anybody else. It's just the timing of the way the church production thing worked right. out. We came in from the outside. Um, so we automatically had a little bit more cred, street cred than, than guys that grew up in it. So if you're a guy that started doing tech in junior high and kind of worked up into it and, you know, when you're 20, you get hired and now you're the tech guy in charge of it you are automatically not going to have a whole lot of respect because you are still seen as that junior high kid that was running around pushing right. buttons and coiling cords. So you are automatically a little bit behind the eight ball. But at the same time, you have to be, you have to own the fact that you do not have a ton of respect and then you have to earn people's respect. And I think where right. a lot of young guys make the mistake is they think that because they have a title that they should have respect. And right, respect right. does not come with a title. Respect is earned. Um, and this is a yeah. concept that's a little bit foreign to people today, um, but you <laughs> have to earn respect. Um, so I was talking with a friend of mine the other day at lunch, and I, I was saying when I came into Coast Hills, for example, you know, I, I was, I don't know, the fifth or sixth tech guy that had been there in, in not too many years. They had gone through a whole bunch okay. of them. And it, the systems were a mess. I mean, it was just a hodgepodge of a mess of all kinds of different stuff. And so I, I spent about three months kind of going through the systems, figuring out what was going on. I was like, wow, there, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be fixed here. And so I took, you know, my boss and I took our pastor out to lunch and I started laying out like, okay, so here's where I think we, here's where I think our weaknesses are. Here's the changes that I think we need to make. This is the kind of stuff we need to do. And he looked at me and he goes, Mike, I have worked with a lot of tech guys over the years. Every one of them has said the same thing. Everyone says the old guy didn't know what they were doing. You know, here's, here, <laughs> here's, here's how much money we need to spend, yada, yada, yada. Why do I listen to you? Um, about 30 minutes later, 
he's, he put up his hands and he's like, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Cause <laughs> I went through every single piece of equipment, every single system, line by line, piece by piece said, here are the problems with it. This is why I don't think it's appropriate for our situation. Here's why we need to change it. Here's what the benefit of being changed is going to be. Here's what the long-term benefit is going to be. Here's what the cost, can, you know, and I just, I laid out the entire thing for him and said, we're actually, uh -huh. yeah, we're going to need to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars, but we're going to realize all that back in savings by not having to hire extra people and all this stuff, we're going to pay for it all in a year and a half anyway. So if uh -huh. you, if you let me do this, it's going to be better. And so, you know, I was able to build in a lot of respect because I didn't just say I need $200,000 to buy new stuff. Like I had, I had rationale and I had reasons behind doing that. And then right, I managed right. my money and my budget very, very closely. And I met with the finance guy, you know, and I would, I would, I walked in with a spreadsheet where I tracked every single expense that came out of my department, you know, all year long. And I'd go in and reconcile that with the church's books every six months. And he said to me, Mike, I've been doing this in church for 25 years. No one has ever done this. No one has ever <laughs> tracked their budget to the extent that you do. And I found mistakes in the accounting system, <laughs> you know? Right, right. And yeah. so I built all that respect with my leadership to the point where when I submitted a budget, you know, they'd sit around and they'd discuss the youth budget for two hours trying to figure out why it was what it was. And then they'd get to my budget and go, okay, that's good. And toss it on the table yeah. and go to the next one. Yeah. But that was because I did a crap ton of work <laughs> to build and earn that respect. So right. you've yeah. got to do that. You've got to earn the respect. You've got to do the work. Um, you do not get the respect just because you have the title. Yeah, and I think the uh, because technology and production in the local church or anywhere really is a mystery to so many people. Yep, it's like uh, the auto mechanic. You know, my car is not working. I take it to you. You tell me what's wrong. I believe you. You fix it. Yeah, uh, that's kind of the way our area is to yeah. pastors. Yep. And so I used to get so def uh, defensive and offended that, like, hey, how are you spending your hours? And why do you need this much money? Yeah. And I would always take it as, don't you trust me? Right. And most of it was, that was part of it, but a lot of it was about, I just don't understand what this is about. Yeah. And so I need you to explain it to me. That No one would ever say that, yep. but to be able to say, hey, this is how I've been spending my 40 hours. I've been keeping track of it for the last month mm -hmm. so that we could talk about it. Yeah. And this is, instead of me saying, I feel overworked, here's the, you know, 55, 60 hours I've been working for the last two months mm -hmm. and how that time has gone, you know, whatever, yeah. that even documentation on how you spend your time, how the money is spent, mm -hmm. like we should not be, I don't know that anybody goes around trying to hide things on purpose, but to be overly communicative and more than transparent is part of what builds the trust. Yeah. Yeah. That we're, that we're so craving. Right. No, that's, that's totally true. And, and uh, our, our mutual friend Van has said in the past, and I love this, I love this expression, that for most pastors, the tech guy is like the village witch doctor. <laughs> Nobody knows exactly yeah. what he does, yep. but they know that it's important and you don't want to piss them off. Um, you know, but... <laughs> But nobody really understands it. And so, and like you, I, I've had the same thing. You know, I had I, my executive pastor just could not understand why I was saying that we needed to have our, why our tech team needed to be there at, at noon on Saturday for a five o'clock service. And I'm like, I, I don't understand why your team needs to be there that early. And so I finally just walked him down into the tech booth and I said, let me start at video and we'll just walk all the way down through the tech booth. 
we didn't even get to lights. And his mind was completely blown yeah. by how much stuff we had to do on a Saturday afternoon to get ready right. for a five right. o'clock service. Yeah. He's like, this is amazing. We need to do a video on this and we need to tell everybody and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, 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 we don't. I just want you to know why yeah. Yeah, we yeah. have to be here this early because this is all the stuff that we have to do. And by the way, when we don't get Pastor Ken's notes until three o'clock, it really puts a wrench in the works because we're already into rehearsal. We're working with the band at that point. I don't have time anymore to build sermon notes. So yeah, right. it's, that's why it's so important that we get notes on time so that yeah. we can continue to serve the band because you know we can't build sermon notes and do, do uh, a confidence monitor at the same time. So, yeah. you know, once think, they uh, kind of understood that, it was a whole different mind shift for them. Yeah. And I, I'm working with a church right now, and I walked into their auditorium, their multi-site. I was like, wow, you guys are got it. I mean, this looks like you you know what you're doing. Yeah. But somehow on the senior leadership side, there's questions. Mm-hmm. And really so much of it boils down to communication and and not when things are going great, but when things are going poorly, yep. trust is built even in those moments where a mic fails or a light doesn't come on at the right time or, you know, for them, their video of the sermon doesn't play at one of the campuses, that that stuff happens, but how you handle it, how you communicate with the pastor is part of what builds trust to say, this. Ha- I know this happened, number one, like acknowledging I know there is a problem and mm-hmm. here are the f- three or four things we're going to do about it. Yeah. And I think a pastor doesn't need to know why it failed exactly. They just need to know what you're going to do about it. And yep. something like that builds trust. Yeah. And I think it's uh, an area that we as tech people don't generally do a great job of. No, no, you're right. I think it's very important that we own our failures and own our mistakes and own, mm-hmm. just own it, you know, like, for example, I was, I was doing an audio training at some point not too long ago, and I was talking about uh, doing a sound check and setting gain structure and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I was kind of working them through the process of once you go through the sound check process and you've kind of built your gain structure, at that point, gain is fixed. Like you don't change it anymore because uh-huh. if you do, you just start screwing up the guy's monitors and then they can't, they're like, what, why, why are my monitors changing? So right, right. I said, the only, the only reason you should ever change a gain um, after sound check is over and we're into rehearsal is because you made a mistake and then you you don't just change the gain, you know, kind of secretly just turn the gain up or fix it, whatever. <laughs> you have to stop the band and say, look, guys, I'm sorry. I made a mistake up here. I totally screwed this up. My bad. I'm going to make a change to the bass because I, I, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to make a change here. Apologize for that. Just, just know that it's coming. Here you go. Make the change. If you do that, everybody's totally cool. Everybody will be like, right, oh, yeah. yeah, no problem. I get it. No big deal. And then they go sure. on with their lives and everything's fine. If, on the other hand, you go up and kind of sneakily start turning the gain up because you totally screwed it up and set it 20 dB too low, and you suddenly add 20 dB to their bass mix and their ears, <laughs> they're all going to be pissed because they're trying to figure out why is my gain changing? What is going on? They're going to start looking at you. They're going right. to start yelling at you. All kinds of stuff is yeah. going to happen. If you just own it and say, I made a mistake. Here's what I need to do to fix it. Everybody's yeah. totally cool. And the same thing yeah. is with your leadership. You know, if, if you forgot to put what batteries in the in the handheld mic for announcements and it die, it's dead when they get up on stage, don't go, well, you know, if we had another budget, if we had this, if we had that. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. You screwed up. Yeah. 
own it. Yeah, just own I, it. I, yeah. I, I screwed up. I forgot to put new batteries in that. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it. I'm going to build a checklist yeah. right now. And when I, on Monday morning, I'm going to come back and I'm going to do a pre-service checklist. And we are going to follow that checklist religiously every single week from now on. We're going to go line by line. Yeah. Are there batteries in this? Are there new batteries in this? Is this, this? And you're going to figure out what the what was the procedural failure that led to that thing happening. And then you're going to put in a process to fix it. Um, but if you try yeah. to blame everybody else or try to blame your equipment or bad budgets or this or that or whatever, you are never going to earn any respect. Um, you will earn, I can guarantee you, and I know you'll back me up on this, Todd, you will earn <laughs> 10 times more respect if you just go, no, that's, I screwed up. I totally forgot For about sure. it. We were, we, yeah. we had a bunch of stuff going on. I, I just forgot. I owned it. And then I'm, but I'm going yeah. to fix it and it's never going to happen again. Yeah. When things go well, I mean, we know this in production, if things go well, nobody knows. Right. So you're not building any trust. I mean, you're building some trust, but it's invisible trust. It's, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like the lights. You just push the, you hit the switch and the lights come on. Yeah. Who cares? Versus if things are happening uh, that aren't supposed to, things are happening bad. Yep. You made a mistake. Those are the opportunities to really build trust yeah. with your leaders. Yep. And I think for most of us, we kind of shy away from like, I don't want to admit that I failed mm-hmm. or made a mistake. And I, I've, I've been amazed. Like, if, a, you know, the, we forgot to change the batteries in the microphone. In the past, I, I could imagine being so afraid of saying something and admitting my mistake. Right. The reality is everybody knows. Yeah. It's, it's not like it's you're no it's secret. Not news to anyone. <laughs> yeah. And so why not just say, hey, my, that's on me. Yeah. 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 It gains you so much. Yeah. Uh, so much. Because here's another secret. You're not the only one that's ever made a mistake. <laughs> you know, like the it's pastor true, yeah. has gone up and totally screwed up his second point on his message and, you know, totally lost where he was. How, how, we've all seen pastors just completely just like blue screen in the middle of their message and go, <laughs> I have no idea where I am. Hang yeah. on a minute. You know, like yeah. we've all seen that, right? Yeah. Okay. It's fine. It, he's a human. He, he's, yeah, you know, he, he just spaced for a minute and we've seen worship yeah. leaders, you know, just blah, 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 blah. I don't know what I'm singing. <laughs> what song am I? What? Okay, here it is. You know, yeah. and then they come back around and like, we've all seen that everybody does it. It's all yeah. okay. And yeah. so, you know, that why, why we as tech guy and part of it is, you know, I think, um, I know Dennis Choi has talked about yeah. this a yeah. lot where, um, the standard for tech is perfection. Right. That is the, that is the minimum baseline is perfection, right? I don't know why it is, but that is the the minimum baseline (laughs) for, for tech is perfection. Everybody else can make mistakes and it's totally fine. Um, You know, the pastor can blue screen, the worship leader can make up a whole new song on the fly while, you know, while he's leading, (laughs) that's all totally fine, but Uh we can't make a single mistake, but we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes or equipment's just going to fail. Right, you know, like it's all it's all stuff, and it's it is going to fail. Batteries are going to. I mean, you could put a brand new set of batteries in a microphone, flip it on, and twenty minutes later, it's dead. I've had that happen. We've all had that happen. Yeah, and you can't do anything about it other than own it and then go, okay, well, that's a that's that's a really low probability of that happening again. But what if it does happen? Let's, you know what? Let's have a wired mic standing by on the edge of the stage. So if it ever does happen again, you know, it's not running down, you know, out of the balcony, across the lobby, through the hallway, into the tech room to get batteries. (laughs) And then 10 minutes later, finally getting it back up. Somebody goes, here, take this mic. 
You yeah, know? right. And, yeah. you know, what, what, and like what we used to do is we had a, we had a three-tiered backup plan for our, our, um, announcement mics and pastor mics and stuff like that, where we had, um, we had the primary announcement mic, we had a backup announcement mic. And then if that one, if both of those failed, then everybody knew you go to the worship leaders mic. Okay. So, yeah. you know, we had, we had backups for our backups, um, yeah. just in case. Now we never went to uh, second level backup, Sure, but it was there, you know, and everybody right, right. knew like if, if backup one fails, here's backup two. And right. so again, you have to have that, you have to think that stuff through. And if you, if you take the time to put those processes in place and, and again, things are going to go wrong. So it's how you respond to them and how you come up with systems and plans to go, okay, it, it's probably never going to happen again, but if it does, here's what we're going to yeah. do. Even to communicate the plan. Yeah. So oh, important. you have to communicate to say, hey, the plan. We, yeah, we know this is a problem and here's what we're going to do next time yeah. that this goes yeah. wrong. Yeah. yeah. You know, and again, we, all, we always had a wired mic down on the front of the stage um, just right. sitting on. I know you, I think, I, actually, I think I learned that from you guys. Yeah. Because right. I think you used to have that, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah so I still I think, do. Yeah. I think you and I were talking about that one time. We were, I think it was on a podcast maybe that you were talking about that, having that. And I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. Everybody's got an extra 58 and a mic cord laying around. Let's just plug right, it in right. and have it ready to go on the off chance that every wireless in the building just shuts down. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, it doesn't cost anything. Yeah. The funny part is uh, I've done uh, events in Germany where we have like a translator and a, like an English speaking someone and then a translator. Yeah. One year we had one wired mic down in the front, you know, as a bailout just mm-hmm. in case. Yeah. Well, we really needed two. <laughs> and there was a moment that happened we're like, ah, I, oh, what are we going to do? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I forget how we solved it, but it was like, yep. yeah, it was not a good. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I like to forget about it. Anyway, sorry yeah. I brought it up. But again, the, and, those, and, and you will have those things. I mean, there, there are certain times when you will have things that like, in fact, we're, we're getting ready to do a project debrief um, here this afternoon on, on the project that we just finished up. There are some things that happened during this project that I, I'm scratching my head going, I, I never would have conceived of that happening. You know, right? Just right. never, and I, I, it'll probably never happen again because it was so unique and so unusual. Yeah. But at the same time, now that it's happened, now that we're aware of that as a possibility, we're going to try to figure out, like, okay, so how do we, how do we at least? I mean, it could still happen again, and we don't have a lot of control over it. But if it does, how do we respond to it right. and recover from it more quickly? You yeah, know, yeah, like, like you're, like you were saying, you know, you, you can't conceive of your wired microphone, which is your tertiary backup system failing yeah. and needing to go, what's beyond tertiary, um, yeah. whatever fourth is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, like you, you can't conceive of three layers of backup all failing simultaneously, right, but right. if it does, what's the plan? You know, where yeah. do you go from there? So many churches now with, with such a young technical director or, you know, it's, it's still for a lot of churches, an entry level kind of position. So yeah. you have all these people that are doing the job that don't have the experience of failure yeah. upon failure upon failure yeah. that as a result, those people need the opportunity to fail yeah. so they can learn yeah. and develop a process. And so, you know, part of it is if you're one of those people, cut yourself some slack yeah. that, you know, problems will happen, uh, respond to them, own them, solve them. And if you're listening to this and you're a leader of one of those people, uh, you you need to allow grace for people to learn what the heck they're doing. Yeah. 
Um, because yeah, I would, there's so many times that failure happened when I was, I mean, it's still happening now, but when I was younger, you know, things that I never even thought of are going wrong. Well, until they go wrong, I can't think of them because I I can't even have (laughs) conceived of them. You haven't experienced it yet. Yeah. But now that they've happened, I'm ready to, you know, it helps inform how I'm going to do the next one. Yeah. And that's one of the challenges with, with a younger team is that you're, you just haven't failed enough. Yeah. They don't, they don't. And I remember having that conversation with, um, uh, one of my, um, I think it was one of my younger volunteers. He was asking how I, was, I, I, I don't know, something went wrong in a service. I don't remember what it was. And I had it, I had it solved pretty quickly. And um, he's like, how did you even know to look at that? And I said, well, because yeah. I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. And yeah. that's <laughs> happened to me like seven times. So yeah, yeah. I have a pretty comprehensive database of stuff that, you know, when it when something goes wrong, if I don't have an exact match, I've got a close match and right, I can right. get there pretty quickly. Um, just because I've been doing this long enough now that um, I have this big extensive database. And so I totally agree with you, Todd, that, you know, young guys need to give themselves some slack when stuff goes wrong because you haven't thought about it yet. And leadership really needs to allow for that failure to happen. But I'll go one step further and say, if you are a younger tech director, tech volunteer, whatever, you need to find yourself an old guy and <laughs> talk to them. Yeah, yeah. Because... Um, one thing that I learned, I'll go back to my my uh, tanning business, for example. This was a total God thing. I got hooked up with my HVAC guy for that for that business when I was doing those things. He was an old guy. He was probably his mid to late 60s. He had been doing HVAC for longer than I had been alive at that point in time. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. And so... What was awesome about him, and I remember sitting in the back, standing in the back of his truck one afternoon, is uh, he he had swung by on his way home from another job to help me figure out how to do some piping for a venting for a tanning bed, and so he said to me, Mike, if you ever have questions about any of this stuff, why I'm doing what I'm doing, or what why I'm using this tool or that thing or whatever, he goes, just ask. He goes, like I'm winding down end of my career and end of my life here. I can't take any of this knowledge with me. So if uh-huh. you want to know any of this, just ask, and I will tell you. Okay. And that it was such a such an amazing moment for me. I was probably in my early 30s at that point. You know, to have have a guy who was my grandfather's age say to me, if you want to know something, just ask. Uh-huh. And man, I, I I would show up at his house at seven o'clock. He gave me, he gave me like total permission, literally show up at his house at seven o'clock at night. He was, he'd be in his sweatpants. And I'm like, hey, can I borrow? A t- <laughs> I, I need to do this. How do I do it? Do you, do you have yeah. a tool for it? And he would loan me tools. He would tell me how to do stuff. And, you know, he saved, he, he shortened my education in that field by yeah. years. Because yeah. he was willing to tell me stuff, right? And so, and I know you'll you'll agree with this too. If you go talk to somebody like me or Todd or pick an old guy that's been doing this for a long yep. time, I will spend as much time as you want talking about this stuff. So um, true. My friend that I was telling you about that was asking for life advice a while back, um, he was one of those guys. He's in his early 20s. And um, whenever I was in the city, in fact, it still happens. Whenever I'm in the city that he lives, we get together and I, I will just let him pepper me with questions for hours. Uh-huh. Um, and I am totally happy to do that. I'm super busy. Um, and I do not have a lot of time to do to do extra stuff. But if a young guy wants to sit down and go to lunch and talk for two hours about you know what I have learned over my career and doing this so that I can help them get better at it, 
uh-huh. I'm happy to do it. And yeah. I don't know a single other tech guy who wouldn't do that. That's so true. So I guess if you're listening to this and you're a young guy, find an old guy. And mm-hmm. if you're an old guy, maybe find a find young guy. Find a young guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I, push all your knowledge onto them. Force yeah. it. Force them to take it from you. Yeah. No, guys, <laughs> we can't take this knowledge with us. Right. Yeah. Like once we're gone, like whatever's in our head is gone, unless yeah. we have shared it. And that's yeah. that's one of the reasons why I started doing the podcast. It's one of the reasons I did the blog for as long as I have. And I just kind of I just sat actually sat down and wrote the first blog post that I've written in a long time, um, oh, wow. just because I thought I got something I need to share with people. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've learned a lot doing this for the last thirty some odd years. So I've I've had a lot of experiences, and it doesn't make me more awesome or better than anybody else or anything <laughs> like that. It's just, I've, I've done this a lot and yeah. I've learned a lot in doing it. And so if, if I can share some of my experiences and that will help um, shorten somebody else's learning curve and build out somebody else's database, you know, and you can, you know, there are two ways to learn things. There's one, you know, learning it yourself and failing and trying to learn how to do it better. And then there's learning from other people's failures. Yeah. You know, and if you, you know, were to sit down with Todd or I and say, hey, tell me about some of your most spectacular failures during a service or whatever. And, you know, you sit down and talk to us about it. We'll tell you some of the things that have happened. And then you can go, huh, okay, well, that happened to them. That's probably going to happen to me at some point in time. So maybe I should have a have a backup plan or a way to make sure that doesn't happen to me, you know? And so learn from our mistakes, learn from the people that have gone before you. Don't think that just because you have the title of technical director or production manager or whatever, that you're, you're all that, you know, get back to me in 20 years when you've been doing it and we'll see how you'd be nice. It'd be nice to know that some of the pain that I've experienced by some of the failures that have happened would actually benefit someone else. They they, they would have more mileage than just, yeah you know, benefiting me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's exactly right. I mean, there, if we, you or I solve a problem for ourselves, we've solved the problem for ourselves. But if we then share that solution to a problem with somebody else, you know, now we've solved somebody else's problem too. And if they share it with somebody else, then it's, you know, it, it's, it's a multiplication of that. Right. And right. so, you know, and the other thing I would say to young tech guys is as you grow in your career, don't try to keep all the information to yourself. Yeah. Find somebody younger than you to pour into as well. And I, my, um, my boss at Coast Hills uh, and I were talking one day and he goes, you know, wouldn't it, can you imagine what the church would be like if every single person in the church had someone 10 years older than them pouring into their lives and then in turn, each person poured into somebody 10 years younger than them? Right, right. I mean, can you imagine how much more powerful and effective and, and how much better people we would all be. And, you know, so then, then move that into the tech world. You know, if each person in the tech world had somebody 10 years older than them, you know, helping them out, and then yeah. they were in turn pouring into somebody 10 years younger. I mean, yeah. what, a, what a multiplication effect that has on, pe- yeah. on people yeah. and the way we do things, how much better we would all be. Yeah, so true. All right. I think it's time. Yeah. I think we're done. I think we were, uh, we could we, probably talk. We, 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 could, we could talk for a long time. Yeah, we'll we just have, have to have a part fact. two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who are we kidding? It has been forever. Yeah. Uh, hey, thanks for making time. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, it's, been yeah, it's been great to catch up. And yeah, just happy that other people could sort of jump in on the catching up yeah. with us. So. Yeah, exactly. You know what? I was really amazed at all the things that Mike has done in his life and, you know, how all those add up to what he's doing today. 
it was such a great reminder that I should be leveraging all my experiences for the benefit of what I'm doing now and what I'm going to do in the future. I also love the idea of finding someone 10 years older to learn from and someone 10 years younger to pour into. I mean, this really needs to be each of our responsibilities. I mean, no one's going to make this happen but us. And like Mike said, imagine what the church would be like if we were all doing this. I mean, learning from somebody who knows more than me and teaching something to someone that has less experience than me. Yeah, so good. Oh, it was so great to catch up with Mike. All right. Uh, for those of you still thinking about whether or not you should come to Philo, May 19th and 20th, still time. Go to the philo.org, the website, register now. Get that sweet discount. If you bring four or more, we'd love to see you there. And while you're checking out the website, you'll notice that there's some hotel information on the website also. Some, so we got some deals with a few local hotels and Awana, whose headquarters are in the Chicagoland area for some yeah, pretty cheap rates. So check that out. Um, at Follow This Year, we're telling another inspiring story of what technical artists are doing in their local churches. If you came to Philo 2019, you probably remember the junior tech team video we showed last year. If you know any stories like that or tech people that are inspiring to you, we'd love to hear their story. We'd love to tell their story. So please send us an email at hello at philo.org and kind of tell us about it. We'd love to yeah, just be inspired and we'd love to inspire others too by telling that story. So if you have an idea, shoot us an email. All right, keep up to date with us on what's happening at Philo. You can subscribe to our podcast from wherever you get your podcast. Also, we'd love a review on iTunes. It'd help us reach more people if, uh, if we have more reviews. So please do that. Okay, you can follow us at, at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. And you can always see what's happening on philo.org or if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, shoot us an email at philopodcast at philo.org. All right, it's good to be with you from the road. And until next time, see ya.